Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Good morning. Mardi Gras is in the books. Ash Wednesday has arrived and you're back with the big, bald and beautiful one and the man known as D-Lo. Welcome to RP3 and company. We got a tremendous show lined up for you today. Three guests on tap. Ron Higgins, the mad dog, will join us to talk LSU basketball, LSU baseball, and the latest involving what happened with Malik Neighbors. How does that impact the football team? That's all going to be coming up at 7.30 this morning. Followed at 8 o'clock by Dan McDonald, the Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer, and the man who is, well, the play-by-play voice for ESPN Plus broadcast of Cajun Athletics. Big night for Raging Cajuns. Basketball doubleheader. Baseball starts its home series against BYU. And, of course, we'll talk a little bit about the softball team getting a much-needed win on their road trip yesterday. That'll be at 8 o'clock. And then at 8.30, we promise this time, Toby Christie from tobychristie.com will come on and join us recapping the Daytona 500, then looking ahead to this week's race and the season in general for NASCAR. So those are our three guests lined up for you today. Got plenty to get to. We'll have our foodie poll question of the week. Don't think because we took Tuesday off that we weren't going to be ready, raring to go on this Wednesday with the foodie question. Of course, it's about Lent. So we'll talk about that and share that with you momentarily. But let's talk about, even though it was Fat Tuesday, even though many people had the day off to celebrate for Mardi Gras, Many of the teams here in the state of Louisiana did not take the day off. They were in action. And let's start with the Raging Cajun softball team. Dawson, I don't think it's too much to say. I don't think it's too dramatic to say that that was a needed win. A much needed win. And look, UCF is a nationally ranked program. They're in the top 25. So to bounce back from the Tax Act Clearwater Invitational where they lost five games, a few of them in heartbreaking fashion where they could have notched wins against top seven competition, to go one in five of that tournament and to be able to kind of bounce back with a win over UCF, a dominant win at that, at the Golden Knights place, that's a big deal. That, that, that was a great... Not only a great bounce-back game for Jerry Glasgow's club, but it, it was a great confidence game for them, right? It, it was a great great way for them to respond. Yes, they were playing elite competition. Four of their five losses at the Invitational were against teams in the top seven. To be able to bounce back and get a win against a ranked opponent, 
That was huge for Jerry Glasgow's team. I felt like it was it felt like it was needed, and they came out and responded in a big way. Yeah, and you know, look, I don't want to be too hard on broadcasting crews around the country because I know it's difficult and a lot of people are doing this with limited resources. But oh, is this a, Conference USA shade again? No, it wasn't. This was actually ESPN Plus, and so I mean, look, <laughs> I. Obvi- I'm sure that there was an issue there, but there was just this blurry, unfocused camera that's from behind home plate. So I saw, you know, what I could what I could tell looked really good from the game last night. But no, all jokes aside, this was needed. And um, Alex Langlier's was huge, two homers and a double. Um, so the offense, you know, they're still kind of relying a little bit too much on star power, or at least it's been rotating who it is. But Carly Heath was supplying much of the offense throughout Correct. some of the Clearwater tournament. Uh, yesterday it was Langoliers, but as long as you have whoever it's going to be, and that can continue to rotate, then that's fine. And yeah, Megan Shorman was fantastic. I mean that that felt like a Sun Belt game against a team that they're much better than because you know we kind of get in the rhythm of that once conference play starts. Oh, they won another run rule game. It is what it is. It's Sun Belt conference. That's a top twenty-five team who hosted a regional last year. And correct. You know was off to also played in the Clearwater Invitational, so also had some losses there. Um, you know, a similar record to you, but they had maintained their top 25 ranking. So that was a big win. And not only was it a win, but it was a dominant win. So I think that's kind of, uh, you know, we don't have to have a decon segment with the Cajun softball this week because of that big win yesterday. Everyone, they kind of calmed everybody down and they get another chance this weekend against LSU to kind of prove and, and kind of have another measuring stick weekend. Right. It's the LSU crossover coming up this weekend where they'll play LSU and Texas A&M Corpus Christi twice. They'll play them once over in Baton Rouge on Saturday, and then they'll play them in Lafayette on Sunday. They were both 5-5, five and five, but you're right, UCF remained in the top 25 at number 25. But this is what you can kind of expect from the Cajuns. We've talked about it. They are going to take their lumps during this brutal gauntlet of a non-conference schedule. But the only thing they really need to do is, yes, you would have liked them to win more games at the Tax Act's Clearwater Invitational, right? You would have liked them to to win maybe one or two more games, obviously. But they took their lumps there. But here's the thing. A couple of those games were one-run games. So they went toe-to-toe with some of the best teams in the country. And then they respond by getting a shutout no-hitter. 8-0 8-0 win yesterday against UCF, a team that was 5-5 five and five just like them. And you mentioned Shorman was uh, sensational. Angelers was sensational. Convincing win over a top 25 opponent. There's going to be ebbs and flows here to this non-conference schedule. They're going to drop games where you're going to be like, oh man, I really wish they would have beat that team. And then they're going to turn around and they're going to be able to win some of those games as well. And for them to be able to do it early in the season like this, after having such a disappointing showing at the Tax Act Clearwater Invitational where they dropped five games of their six to get a top 25 win, a big deal for this team. Big deal. Yeah, it, it is big. And and like we mentioned, the schedule doesn't get easier. Um, they'll have a, a couple of games against A&M Corpus Christi mixed in there. But not only do they play LSU twice, but then, of course, Ole Miss is coming to uh, Lampson Park on Monday. So... And you get another opportunity. Yeah, they are to play them. Uh, by the way, McNeese is playing Ole Miss twice this coming weekend at McNeese. Yeah. So, and- shout out to the Rebels for saying, you know what, 
we'll 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 do these one on ones. You know, we'll we'll be more than happy to. You come to our place, we'll come to your place as well. Not all the programs in the SEC would do that, but we've seen Alabama come uh, come to Lafayette. We've seen obviously LSU does this crossover. We've seen Ole Miss now doing this. It's a big deal. It's a big deal to have those teams, those programs come to not only Lafayette but also to Lake Charles. Yeah, and then McNeese, of course, in their own right, with that big win, which uh, happened right after we got off the air on Monday. They beat Washington, uh, who was 12th ranked at the time. Now, they lost the game yesterday, which was a little disappointing for them, but they're off to a hot start at 8-3, and three, and they're going to be kind of you know lingering around the top 25, uh, you know, receiving votes as well if they keep winning. That's also going to be a team that's going to help the Cajuns as well because they're going to play McNeese twice. That's a top 40 program, right? in the country and they have now played three top 25 opponents McNeese has they beat two of them they lost to Kentucky but they beat North Texas on Sunday four to two then turned around and beat Washington three to two on Monday by the way that game was in Lake Charles <laughs> that's the other part of that it's it, softball is different right so, softball and baseball are just wildly different now they lose three nothing to South Alabama which is not ideal because right? you just beat a top 15 team, and you turn around and you have a bit of a letdown. That kind of happens. But they'll have the Cowgirl Classic this weekend. McNeese softball team will. When they take on Stephen F. Austin twice and then Ole Miss twice. And then they have Grambling next Wednesday. So McNeese softball on a bit of a tear as well. The McNeese baseball team was in action as well. Their season has not started off the way that you would like. They're one and three now on the season. They dropped two of three to Creighton, and then they got drubbed yesterday against former Southland Conference opponent Sam Houston. They lost 18 to six. They got a three-game set against UT Arlington on the road this week. Now, there was some history involved with McNeese yesterday. Peyton Harden and Brad Burkle etched their names in the record books. Harden becomes the school's all-time hits and runs scored leader. That's pretty good. <laughs> Kid can play, man. While Burkle extended his hitting streak to a record 25 games. But they did drop the game by a score of 18-6, to six. and once again, they'll visit UTA for a weekend series beginning Friday. Sam Houston's actually pretty good. They improved a 3-1 and one on the season. Harden entered the game with 254 career hits, tying him for the most in school history. He got the record with a single in the middle in the top of the third. He added to it with another base knock up the middle in the fifth. And both times off those hits, Harden scored as he became the school's career leader and run scored with 165, breaking the record that was set by Reed Bork last season. So some history made, record books rewritten for the McNeese baseball team, but obviously they're not off to the start that they would want. Now, once again, it's early. And when you're a team from the Southland Conference, it's really about winning your conference tournament because McNeese had a very good season last year, won 30-plus games, but lost the conference tournament championship round because now they do best two of three for the championship round. Did that, but fell to Southeastern, so it's all about just winning the conference tournament because the Southland's pretty much a one-bid one bid league. 
Uh, now, that may change, but as of right now, it's still a one-bid league. Over in Baton Rouge, they were playing baseball. LSU took on Southern. A little afternoon baseball. We had the game for you right here on the game, and it was a tune-up game for the Tigers before they went off to play in the Round Rock Classic this coming weekend. Well, they'll be taking on Kansas State, Iowa, and uh uh-huh, Sam Houston State, who we've already mentioned. Southern was no match. 18-4 was your final score. That game was called in seven innings, and Trey Morgan had himself a game. Went four for five, and he hit for the cycle, but in the natural progression. He had a single, then a double, then a triple, and then a home run. The natural cycle, which is extremely rare to see these days, he put on a show hitting the natural cycle as they beat Southern 18-4. to That's what we call uh, efficient. Five runs in the third, three in the fourth, five in the fifth, five in the sixth. 18 runs on 13 hits. That's a good day at the dish. I'm going to go out on a limb. I know it's bold. It's a bold claim by me. 18 runs on 13 hits is a good day at the dish. I'm just saying. <laughs> Christian Little, the right-hander, picked up the win Tuesday when he entered the game in the third inning and uh, went three and two-thirds with six Ks, throwing 43 pitches. Competition will get better, right? Western Michigan Southern, they'll have the Round Rock Classic this weekend. Do we expect LSU to win all those games? I I would think so, but those quick little tournaments can be tricky. Yeah, I would expect. I mean, again, those teams, and we'll see. It's early to find out if any of those teams, but of course the Big Ten, not a traditional baseball league, but... Uh, I They've will been say, better of late. Yeah, you've had a few teams. You know, right. you had Michigan make a nice run in the World Series. Yeah, and a couple like years that. ago. Yeah. But um, I know a lot of LSU baseball fans, and I know that they hate losing midweek games, and it's been a thing for a long time, even though they don't matter. <laughs> they hate them so much. But I will say so the good news for them is they're not going to lose a lot of midweek games this year because they're going to score ten plus runs in most of them. They're going to score a bazillion runs, and there. that's kind of the that's the, the key to success in winning those midweek. Even though you're going to get some younger guys some innings in those games, which is what True. they've always done, especially when True. Maneri was there and people got mad when they lost to UNO and things like that. Because that the midweek games are your chance of getting guys reps, right? And I think you know I understand fans' frustrations, but it's always been a thing of like, look, this is this is because they're trying to win games in June, not because they want to win midweek games in February. But anyway, there we go. My point is they might not have to deal with that as much this year because I don't think they're going to lose a ton of midweek games because they're going to outscore even if their pitchers have struggles because they get young guys innings they're going to outscore a lot of those teams that lineup is stupid just filthy absolutely filthy so busy busy fat tuesday here in the state lots of wins across the board so you may have taken the day off but our college team said no 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 we got work to do work to do when we come back here on RP3 and Company, we got work to do as well. It'll be a time for us to unveil the foodie poll question of the week. It's Lent inspired. You'll want to hear that. That's next right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, busy day yesterday, Fat Tuesday, LSU baseball. Trey Morgan hits for the natural cycle and a win. McNeese has a couple of players reset the record books, but they fall short against Sam Houston and the Raging Cajun softball team. Well, they got themselves a much-needed win against top 25-ranked UCF. And the McNeese softball team unfortunately dropped a game against South Alabama a day after beating number 12, Washington. So busy, busy day yesterday. But you know, today is Wednesday. It's also the beginning of Lent, which means most of us decide to give up something for Lent. And mainly it it is either food or beverage related. And that's what's inspired our poll question of the day, which on Wednesdays, of course, is our foodie poll question of the week. What food slash drink are you giving up for Lent? Your options, coffee, sweets. Alcohol, other. Right now, 43% of you say sweets, 29% say alcohol, 28% say other. No votes yet for coffee. Which is correct, by the way. I'd be giving up my mental health if I gave up coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Man says be giving up his mental health if he gave up coffee. Are you telling us? That you wouldn't be the pleasant man you are right now if uh, you had to give up coffee? Yeah, see, look, I was never a big coffee person growing up either. Like, my sister drank coffee, like, from an early age, like, early teens. I never drank it till college, and I didn't, I didn't, in college it was like a treat, like, oh, I'll go get like a, you know, not even like a regular coffee, you know, like a Starbucks kind of like frappe type drink. But then I started drinking it slowly, and then eventually, yeah, it became... And now when it's 4.45 in the morning, yeah, I drink coffee every morning. And without it, I don't know what I would be. I don't drink coffee at all. My parents drank coffee. My grandparents drank coffee. I mean, they would drink coffee even in the afternoons, right? And I tried to drink it, and I was like, nah, bro, no. Like, I remember... This ain't for me. This ain't for me. I just don't drink coffee at all. I I can get it. It's funny, like I say that, and I, but I could definitely go without it. I, I don't have like a caffeine dependency. Like I won't get headaches if I stop drinking it for a few days, the way my sister would. <laughs> some people, man, it's but, bad. Um, it's rough. But for now some that folks. it's a part of my morning, I it would be you know it would be a rough transition to get away from it. I would say. JPK the OD has chimed in: sweets, sodas, and chips for the trifecta. Soda. A lot of people give up soda during Lent. That is mine this year. Yeah. Um. I believe the wife and I were going to give up sweets and soda. I know soda for a fact is going to be given up, which is also a big reason why I'm 300 pounds because of soda intake. Like I'm really good about drinking water all day and then having, you know, uh, a shake for breakfast and then have a nice sensible salad or something for lunch, Dawson. But then, you know, I'll have one or two Cokes and that just takes out everything I've done. All the good stuff that I've done, it's completely washed away. Yeah, and you know what? I've actually started recently, and it, and it's if you if you haven't drank them before, it's gonna be tough. But sparkling water with flavor, 
like LaCroix style or any other brand. I, I get the Kirkland one. Um, Sparkling water. Now, here it is. And it's, listen, the first few times you drink it, if you haven't had it, it's horrible. It tastes like nothing. <laughs> but what happens is you kind of trick yourself into liking it. <laughs> And that's what I did. You drink enough of them, your brain goes, wait, this stuff's not that bad. It's not good, but it's not that bad. And so I still drink a decent amount of soda. That's why I'm trying to get rid of Yeah, I'm not going to do soda during Lent. I'm, I'm going to try and not do any type of uh, like non-water drink other than like coffee. Not like counting coffee or things like that, but like if I were to drink something like iced tea, stuff like that, I'm going to try and not do any of that. So that's going to be my goal. And I'm just going to drink the sparkling waters in place of it. I drink, uh, I put uh, Crystal Light. In, in, in my water is how I get my caffeine intake. There's a couple of flavors that, that are caffeine related. So that's what I do. Giving up the soda for sure during Lent. And I'm going to try to give up sweets. You know, the other big thing that we didn't have it on there that is always the bane of my existence, bread. Bread yeah. is like that's the thing. Like every time we diet and my wife and I try to lose weight, Cutting out sodas is always the big thing. Always try to do that. The sweets, but bread, man. Like, it's tough to live without bread. Yeah. It just is. is. It is when you're a big fella. No, yeah. My dad's done (laughs) keto from time to time without basically any carbs. And I don't think I could really do it. I like, I, it's tough. Yeah. If, especially if that's the way you, and like being a college student, recently removed from it where you just make a lot of pasta for the week because you don't have any money there it is that's really tough but even yeah the, if it's if that's the way you cook and the way you're just like growing up you always just we always had a, a roll with dinner like or a piece of bread there was some that's sort right. of bread element in every meal right so french bread or something like that yes. it's tough to just cut it out <laughs> yeah a little bit a little bit so the str- look it can be done it can be done so just fully expect to see your boy with uh far more um nutrition bars and yogurts and salads around the studio so just to let you know gonna try to lose weight gonna try to give up some of the 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 big things for for lint but one of them definitely is soda no coffee votes yet i'm surprised by that really am jpk the od says sweet soda and chips for the trifecta hashtag never the bourbon some some people will give up alcohol during Lent. Others say, "Nah, bro, nah, no, 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 no. We're not doing that. I'm not. I'm not giving that up. Not giving that up." Do you take part in the giving up meat on Fridays? The Catholic tradition. Yes. Okay. I do my best on that, and I mean, it starts today actually too. So this is that tough week where you get it two days out of three, Wednesday and Friday, because it's yes. Ash Wednesday. It's Ash Wednesday, yes. Yeah, that's tough. You know what else? Some people do the uh, you can have what you gave up on Sundays. Do you do that? No. So, yeah, that's another like kind of loophole thing. I don't do that because, in my opinion, like it wouldn't be that much of a you know, so big deal. So a cheat day during Lent? Well, so, that kind of defeats the whole purpose of Lent. Well, because essentially the, the idea was that the Sundays didn't count as a part of Lent. That's why they're not counted in the forty days. Okay, so it is technically uh, like the rule or whatever. But yeah, I don't. I don't think. I think it's kind of like you know, it's got to be get out of jail free card. Yeah, because you can give anything up for five days out of the. You know, like what's the? But if you forty consecutive is a little bit tougher. It's a little bit tougher. It's it, it, it's, it's a sacrifice for a reason. <laughs> I like like I had not heard of this. I've heard of the the Sundays didn't count for Lent. I, I have heard that. 
Um, but I'm gonna have to bring up that uh, uh, up today when I um, go and help with my church's uh, <laughs> Ash Wednesday service at lunch. I'll have to make sure to like, hey, not to worry. Sunday, you're good. Well, it's the same concept with like you get. We're giving up meat, but here in the South, we're just gonna have. We're just gonna spoil ourselves with seafood anyway. <laughs> yes. So it's like, yes. well, oh, I didn't eat a cow or a pig. Yeah. Sacrifice, I'm, but also kind of an excuse to eat even better food. <laughs> so, yes, uh, that's, that's well, well said. Well said. So our foodie poll question of the week is always on Wednesdays, and it's this one is about Lent because obviously today is Ash Wednesday. Once again, what food slash drink are you giving up for Lent? Is it coffee? Is it sweets? Is it alcohol or is it other? Make sure to vote and make sure to leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we will share them throughout today's edition of RP3 and Company. We got to take a timeout. When we return, we mentioned it earlier. Huge day for Raging Cajun Athletics. Absolute monster day. And it's all going to be on campus. Basketball doubleheader at the Cajun Dome. Baseball home opener against BYU. Four-game series begins. We'll look ahead at it, hear from the coaches. That's all coming up next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to the game's YouTube channel at the game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. It was a good weekend. Uh, like to see us obviously uh, finish that sweep, uh, getting out to a five-run lead again, uh, coming off eleven to two victory. You know, that's a that's a game that you've got to finish right there. And and uh, so anytime you win two out of three is a good weekend. But it's losing the last one. That's what leaves sour taste in your mouth. So if you drop the first one and win the next two, or uh, drop the middle game, etc. But uh, thought it was a good start for us uh, against a much improved Rice team. Uh, this got some good arms, and uh, thought we handled ourselves real well offensively. Defended it pretty good. Uh, got to cut down on the freebies, obviously. But I think that comes with getting to know our, our new guys on the bump and who fits where, and and uh, you know, so that's going to come with a little bit of experience. Raging Cajun baseball coach Matt Deggs talking about his team's opening weekend series where they went 2-1 and one against Rice. They took the series, but they did drop the finale. They'll get back to action tonight with their home opener, a four-game set against the BYU Cougars who come into the game, into the series, 2-2 two and two overall. First pitch is scheduled for 6 o'clock there at Teague Moore Field at Russo Park. I know Rice isn't the program they have been. They've been down. But they are a tradition-rich program. And to be able to go on the road and win the series is a big deal. But you could tell Deggs was disappointed with the fact that they lost the series the way they did. You'd much rather drop the first game or the second game than the last one. Because the last one leaves that taste in your mouth for the next few days or multiple days. 
And it always makes you feel like even though you won the series, even though you looked really good in games one and two, and you looked good for most of game three, right? It makes you feel like you're a disappointment because the last thing you remember on the field was taking an L. I'll love what they're going to... I'm intrigued what they're going to look like for this four-game set. We're going to see their pitching on full display here because you're going to have to throw out multiple arms. Going to probably have to utilize the middle relievers in the bullpen. I would say more than expected because it is a four-game set. And BYU is a quality program. You're at home. We know this team can rake. That's what Deggs is about. That's what his that's what he does better than anything. And this team is filled with guys who can rake. The question mark, Dawson, for me, and 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 it's just like anything else. Do they have enough arms? Do they have enough arms? And I think an early four game set like this is a great thing. It's essentially you're essentially just merging the midweek game in with your weekend series. That's all you're doing here. And it's just against the same opponent. Yeah. Because you're starting it on a Wednesday. Yeah, it's it's not all that. It, it looks like a, stra- a strange little scheduling thing, but again, it's it's a combination of a BYU uh, not wanting to play on or not wanting to, but not playing on Sundays, um, due to their situation, and then also BYU's travel situation because of course they were in Ruston to play Louisiana Tech for four games. So this series could have at least you know they could have done it a little bit differently, but since BYU was already down here and wasn't going mm-hmm. back, they decided to start the series on Wednesday, which makes a lot of sense. So yeah, look. Uh, Pitching's always been the the number of arms and the number of quality arms and who the guys were that were going to step into the big-time roles was always going to be the question. And unfortunately, you didn't answer a ton of those on you know in the first weekend of the season. Now, you weren't going to answer those questions no matter what because it's a long season and you know this is just literally the first three games out of you know almost 60. So Correct. The good news is, like we said, you win the series. And in college baseball, that's extremely important when you take a look back at the way that the selection committee does picking teams for regionals um, not only regional hosts but even just at large teams which of course the Cajuns would like to be in the mix for and with the strength of the Sun Belt seems like they probably will be even if they don't win the conference Um, winning series is more important especially road series so they're not going to be penalized much at all for losing that game to Rice now BYU is a pretty good team as you mentioned probably a better team than Rice Uh, pick third in the West Coast Conference um they split with Louisiana Tech two out of four on the road, which, of course, Tech was very good a year ago, so that is an impressive thing to do. And this will probably be a little step up from Rice, and I think that's good for him. You mentioned the pitching. A four-game series like this coming off of, you know, you just played a, a three-game set, now you're going to play four day, four games in four days starting on Wednesday as well, so you didn't have an extra day of rest. You're probably going to see almost every scholarship arm that's going to throw significant innings for the Cajuns will pitch one of these four games. One of these four games they're going to they're going to see it. and and this is the time for Degs you know this is early in the season you have a long series like this this is the time where you can find the right role for everybody and he spoke about that about still trying to find the right role just not have them play but find everyone their specific role to help this team win. Pretty much everything went our way, Kevin. What didn't go our way was self-inflicted. And, and what I mean by that was us giving them uh, free free base runners. And, uh, you know, that 
that the quick fix on that is just understanding who your personnel is and where they fit and and uh, maybe there's somebody else better suited for that uh you know but i think too and we were talking about it this morning last year we were we were very new offensively and it took you know getting beat up by stanford and, and indiana and i thought we played well offensively against arkansas but uh you know struggling the first month of the season and then you're kind of seeing now what those guys went through. Uh, the talent's there. I think it's just a mentality and, and uh, finding the right role for everybody. A lot of times, especially when it comes to d- defense, we see this all the time. I've seen this at LSU. I've seen it with the Cajuns. I've seen it with McNeese, just firsthand. There's guys that you put out into the field that you think, okay, this is my guy. He can handle it. He can handle it with his glove work. And then a lot of times they just can't. Right, a guy, a player will look really good in practice, but when the lights are on, they cough up the ball. They struggle to field the ground ball. They struggle to make the throw. Deggs is a patient guy, so he's willing to wait. But sometimes, coaches try to put guys in spots that they really don't belong, because they want them to be in that spot. And sometimes you just got to understand as a skipper, look, that guy is not where he needs to be. We got to find a different role for him. And that's also part of this as well. Even though you have so many returning lettermen, it's still a new season, which in, in fact means it's a new team. So you're still trying to find out who can do what for you. You heard Dawson talk about BYU, that they're a good program, what they did with Louisiana Tech, who is coming off a really good season as well. And Deggs gave his thoughts about the challenges the Cougars are going to bring to the Teague this week. They're good. They're a top 50 program. They've, uh, they're up 2-1 to one in the series right now at La Tech uh, with a blowout win on Friday opening game. Uh, dropped a second one, high-scoring affair, uh, and then win, score more runs uh, yesterday. Uh, there's a fourth game today. So we'll see how that plays out. They can hit. Uh, they've got some guys that know how to pitch. And uh, so they're, they're a good ball club. Obviously, they dropped the finale on Monday. Once again, they had to split their four-game series against Tech, taking Sunday off. They had to finish it on Monday when we heard from Deggs in the weekly presser. So great early season test. Should be a great environment. Four games there at the Teague. Going to be exciting to see what Deggs' team brings to the table starting tonight. Once again, baseball begins tonight, 6 p.m. there at Russo Park. Four-game set, BYU versus the Raging Cajuns. we got to take a timeout. When we return, basketball also going to be on hand at the Cajun Dome. We'll talk about that next right here on RP3 and Company. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 came to the station this morning to do only two things. Kick some ass and drink some beer. Looks like we're almost out of beer. Well, it's kind of early for the latter, isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer. 
or some flavored water. Back to more kick-ass sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. No, we've got to win. It doesn't matter where we play from now on. So we want to win at home. Uh, we, the guys certainly would like to do this. I know the 17-18 team started 14-0 and at home and then lost their 15th game. So uh, we want to get to 14. I mean, that's where we want to be and should have a great game against Arkansas State. They're coming off a win over Georgia State at home. And then South Alabama had a big win against Monroe, and uh, they'll come in here ready to play, too. That game will be on ESPN, too. Uh, it, it's Autism Week also, so we'll be recognizing that throughout the week. Uh, but we expect good crowds, and we expect to, to play well. Raging Cajun men's basketball coach Bob Marlin talking about, you know, hey, do they want to, you know, finish undefeated at home? And he's like, oh, we got to win them all. <laughs> Which – Look, their final two regular season games are tonight and on Friday. So, yeah, they want to try to have a chance to lock up a top four seed. They're going to have to win. And then, because the Sun Belt's not going to be a two-bid league for the NCAA tournament, they're going to have to make a run. Now, maybe the NIT is still in play for them. If, say, Southern Miss wins the regular season title and, say, Southern Miss wins the conference tournament and the Cajuns finish in the conference tournament championship game, maybe they're an at-large for the NIT. Maybe. It's it, it's it's a long shot, I know, but maybe that's the only other option they have. So they got to win them all. And it's going to start tonight. Once again, while baseball is going to be getting started with its home opener against BYU at 6 o'clock. The men's basketball team will be tipping off at 7.30 inside the Cajun Dome as they take on Arkansas State. UL 21-7, overall 11-5 in Sunbelt play. Arkansas State, yes, they're coming off a win, but they're still 11-18 and 3-13 overall. They are what we call firmly on the struggle bus. So you can't slip up. And after losing a tough game at JMU, which essentially, let's be honest, eliminated the Cajuns from winning the regular season title with that loss. you got to bounce back and do so in front of the home crowd. You can't have a letdown again. I remember the 17-18 season. I remember that team being undefeated, the most wins in regular season history and program history, and them losing to a six-win Little Rock team on senior night. Boy, do I remember that year. That cost them. Like, that loss cost them everything because they would have been in that large bid that year the Sun Belt would have had two because the Cajuns RPI was good enough it dropped by like 20 after that loss so that eliminated them from getting in that large bid and then they lose in the conference tournament because Jakeen and Gant gets the flu and he's throwing up you know on the sideline I remember that like it was yesterday in in, in UNO because that's when the conference tournament was still played at UNO and then, you know, the loss not only cost them an at-large, the loss to Little Rock also cost them to host the NIT game. That's what it really cost them. 
Yeah, and because the, the, the whether they were going to get an at-large bid was still up in the air. They were still firmly a bubble team, even with a Little Rock win, considering they lost in the semis and not even the championship. But the NIT hosting thing, I think, is probably no doubt they'd have hosted. I remember I was a wide-eyed freshman on the campus of the University of Louisiana that year, and I was like, oh, we just we don't lose basketball games, so that'll be a thing forever. And then, obviously, that wasn't the case the next few years. So. Yeah. No, it was, it was not a thing forever. But just for your point about the NIT, uh, DRatings.com, which I haven't seen a whole lot from them in the past, but it does look like a pretty reputable uh, prediction website, has them on the eight line of the NIT. So has them as one of the last teams in right now. Also has Southern Miss projected in as well, of course, like if they were to not win the conference tournament. But the idea that I would get from the way that that's projected out would be UL or Marshall you know, in the case that Southern Miss like wins the turn, wins the regular season, wins the tournament, is like the clear cut team. You'd you'd imagine only one Sun Belt team's getting in, and in that situation, I almost wonder if it's who went further, UL or Marshall or James Madison, one of the three. Right. Um, but there, that does look like. Which I didn't even know if they were going to be on that line. It does look like they're at least in the bubble conversation for the NIT. So again, handle your business and let's not worry about the NIT. Let's go to the dance. But correct. We'll see what happens. Win the next two games, take care of business. That begins tonight against Arkansas State. While the men are in action tonight, so are the women. They have an ample opportunity here, Dawson. They control their own destiny. There's a log jam. Multiple teams tied for first. Multiple teams tied for fourth place in the Sun Belt Conference women's standings. These two games will figure out who gets the buys, the double buy, for the conference tournament in Pensacola, which is going to be huge for the Cajuns. Right now, they're on the outside looking in, but... They play two teams above them in the standings. It begins tonight with Texas State, 19-8, 11-5 in conference play. UL, 16-12 overall, 10-6 in conference play. They tip at 5 o'clock. I'll be there in the house tonight for that game. A win tonight will go a long way for getting helping them get up in the standings and getting them one of those double buys to get a top-four seed. Yep, and I, uh, I I haven't had my pencil and paper out yet to try to figure out the 18,000 options that the tiebreakers will have in the Sunbelt Women's, but um, I do know this. If they if they win both these games, I think they're going to be a top-four seed. So, again, yes. handle your business, and you should be where you want to be. Big night for Raging Cajun Athletics. Basketball, women and men, 5 o'clock, 7.30 at the Cajun Dome tip time. Baseball begins a four-game series against BYU, their home opener tonight. First pitch set for 6 o'clock. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two coming up right here on The Game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything going to be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Ah, good morning, Ash Wednesday. You're listening to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parch III, better known as RP3. I'm joined in the studios by Dawson Iserlow. You know him lovingly as D-Lo. Got a good show still for you. Started off strong. Started off strong. Busy day yesterday, Fat Tuesday. You were off. We were off. But many of our teams were not. 
LSU baseball continues to roll right along early in the season, 4-0, the number one ranked team in the country. Trey Morgan, who seems to be sometimes an afterthought because we focus so much on Dylan Cruz. But Trey Morgan's a, a great college baseball player, by the way. We just Sometimes I think we forget that. Tigers' first baseman hit for the natural cycle in yesterday's afternoon midweek tilt against the Southern Jaguars, a game they won 18-4. LSU now prepares for the Round Rock Classic. K-State, Iowa, Sam Houston State will be the three teams they face. The Cajuns took part in this tournament last year, and I think it helped the Cajuns tremendously, Dawson. Now, they didn't get the wins they wanted to in that Round Rock Classic. They had some chances, but I think it helped Matt Dex's team immensely. He even mentioned it when we heard from him earlier from the press conference from this week, the Raging Cajun skipper. This is the type of tournament you want your team to take part in early in the season. Just like the the softball team for the Cajuns is taking part, trying to find elite competition to face off against. Even though K-State and Iowa are not world beaters, right? But you still get to go away from home and play some quality competition early in the season. That can only help your ball club, especially with its development. Yeah, um, seems for whatever, like the field's not quite as strong this year as it was last year. LSU is kind of the marquee team of the event. Um, so for the other teams that are going to the tournament, they're real excited to get to play the best team in the country. But uh, LSU doesn't quite get tested the way UL did. Because remember, they played Stanford and Arkansas, who were you know mm-hmm. both really highly ranked uh, to start the year last year. So regardless of that, yeah, it's a good opportunity. You get to see some different teams. I'm always a fan. I like it in basketball, and I like it in baseball as well. And I know some coaches like it. I guess others don't feel as strongly about it of playing in some type of tournament-like atmosphere early on in the season to prepare your team for what's going to happen when they go to the conference tournament and they go to an NCAA regional. Correct. Um, I love it even more, and this happens a lot less in baseball. In basketball, you see it more where it's an actual bracket format. Like, look, we don't know who we're going to play tomorrow, so we can't have you know early – we can prepare for anybody we may play in the tournament, but we don't have – and I liked when UL did it when they went to uh, Asheville this year. So – I like the idea of playing three different teams in three different days because at the end of the day, when you go to the conference tournament and or the NCAA regionals, that's how your setup's going to be. You're going to play different teams throughout the weekend. So that's it's good for that reason. You know, it's interesting. LSU's non-conference schedule is not particularly strong. Um, when you're a team that's as good as they are, I think maybe you like, you'd like to be tested on the road early. But then again, when you play in the SEC, you're going to get tested every single week in SEC play. So I understand uh, not feeling a need to really push yourselves in non-conference and maybe ease into the grind that is SEC conference play, but the defending national champs are in your own division, right? Right. So you're so, going to yeah. yeah, you're going to play that type of schedule. And they had five teams make it to the College World Series last year, right? right? Four and that, or five. And I think you'd expect it to be similar to that number this year, at least three Correct. or four. Is and you the, still uh, play Tennessee, who didn't make it, even probably, though they're the yeah. number one ranked team. Once again, that's that's the kiss of death in college baseball to be the number one overall seed. When regionals come around, you don't want that. It typically means you're not going to make it to Omaha. Or if you do make it to Omaha, you won't win. It's been kind of the the curse there, so to speak. Now, look, the Cajuns last year, when they played Arkansas, they were the number two ranked team in the country. And they had they were they had a chance to win that game. They ended up losing six to four, if you remember, but they still had a chance. And you're right. The field isn't nearly as good as it was last year. 
That said, still a good little test for LSU after, you know, Western Michigan Southern. Go play some better competition. You do so on the road. It can only help your team. It can't hurt your team. LSU baseball gets the win yesterday against Southern. McNeese baseball falls to Sam Houston. Peyton Harden, though, becomes the all-time leader in hits and runs scored in program history. We had Jim Gazzolo on earlier this week. He typically joins us on Tuesday. He came on a day early to help talk the baseball program. I think it's going to take a little while for McNeese. The, the the problem for the Cowboys is they got to figure out their pitching situation. Look, they got a ton of bats in their lineup. And typically in college baseball, if you score six or seven runs, you should win the game. They have pitching questions, right? They have guys that are in the minor league system trying to get to the show that were on the team last year. They don't have those guys. And early in a season, once again, you're playing 50 to 60 games, right? Early in the season, the first month or so, you're trying to figure things out. I think it's going to take a little bit longer for Justin Hill's team to figure that out because it always takes longer for pitching. Hitting, it's just, it, it, if you're a good hitting coach and you have guys that can rake, you can figure out a way. Even if a guy is in a slump, somebody else is going to pick him up. Pitching, especially in college, is so much more important to me. It just is. Because if you have great pitching, you can win games where your bats go silent. That's how it works. But if you have mediocre pitching, you're going to lose games where you score six runs. That's how it works. So I think it's going to take a little while for McNeese. They have the bats. They have some veteran leadership. I think if Cowboy fans are patient, I think you're going to see the team turn a corner about a month or so. But I think it's going to be a struggle early on in the season. Because they got to figure out who's going to step up in those roles. Okay, and, and that's the bigger thing. It's harder to find guys, Dawson, to step up in pitching roles because they don't get the opportunities as frequent as the hitters. Right? They just don't. So you have to wait longer. <clears throat> you know, if you throw a guy out on Friday, you can't use him again. Hey, I want to see if this guy can be a starter. Okay, great. You can't use him for the rest of the series. Not really, unless you're dealing with middle relievers. And even most college coaches now, if they throw a guy, even if he throws an inning or an inning and a third or an inning and a half on a Friday, they won't use him on Sunday. They definitely don't use him on Saturday. So it takes a little bit longer, right, for guys, for a skipper to figure out who can step up in those roles to be pitchers that they can count on. Dependable, consistent pitching is harder to find. Yeah, and it's it's a process. You mentioned that, and that's that's probably a good portion of the reason that LSU's not playing a ton of top-ranked teams uh, early on. Of course, also scheduling is, is unique in its own right, so you never know the full reasons. But um, Jay Johnson probably needs some time to figure out mm-hmm. you know the full roles. Now, we know Skeens is going to be the guy on Friday night, and it's, oh, yeah. it's always nice when you have a couple of those questions answered right away, which LSU did with some of their guys. Now, of course, they unfortunately lose one of their top arms a couple weeks before the season. That that really shuffles things around, right? And it allows, you know, you, you have a ton of different options now. And I think, you know, UL and McNeese are going to go through the same thing, specifically with the Cajuns, um, just for me having a better understanding of the roster. They don't have, again, I still wouldn't say any of the starting rotation spots are nailed down and, and written in ink every Friday night. 
Um, Jake Hammond right now looks like a guy who's going to be in the rotation. He was pretty decent against Rice, but again, he only went four and a third innings. Correct. Um, so you don't have those answered. And last year, I think it's a great example, and we've talked about this with Foot a good bit already. You came into the season with an idea of who your starters were going to be, and you had some really good back-end bullpen guys. And by the end of the season, your bullpen, you know, the, the closer and the eighth inning and seventh inning guys were your three starters at the end of the season. So Correct. You ended up starting, you know, Schultz and Tally, who were supposed to be your back-end guys. So in college, it's also more flexible. I think sometimes people have an idea. You get used to this from Major League Baseball. Oh, this guy's a reliever. This guy's a starter. And in Major League Baseball, it's very rare where guys switch from one to the other, especially once they're established in their career. Um, but in college baseball, you think, oh, well, that guy's a reliever. Yeah, but you got to think all of them started in high school, just about, unless they played for a powerhouse baseball program where they had a, you know, a role as the closer. Almost all these guys have been starting pitchers and will start throughout their career. So if a guy starts out in the bullpen, don't get an idea in your head of, oh, that guy's a reliever. He's never going to be a starter because he could be starting on Friday night next week. It's just the way college baseball is. You're not wrong. And it, it takes time, and you, you're going to see that with McNeese. You're going to see that with UL, maybe even a little bit with LSU. Cajun softball team gets a much-needed win yesterday on the road at UCF as they took down a top 25-ranked team. They were taking part in the Tax Act Clearwater Invitational as well, but they remained in the top 25, unlike the Cajuns who lost five of their six games there and did so Four of those losses were against top seven teams. They get a win, a dominant win, a no-hitter against UCF, and that's a good bounce-back game for them as they head back home and they're going to be taking part in the LSU crossover where they're going to be facing LSU and Texas A&M Corpus Christi on Saturday and then Sunday. Saturday's games will be over at Tiger Park in Baton Rouge. Sunday's slates will be over here at Lampson Park. So a big deal for the Raging Cajuns softball team as they got a much-needed win. We do have a foodie poll question of the day, which is always our poll question of the day on Wednesday, our foodie poll question of the week. We asked you, with Lent now having arrived, today, of course, is Ash Wednesday. What food slash drink are you giving up for Lent? Right now, 36% of you say you're giving up alcohol. 35% say other. 29% say sweets. No votes yet for coffee. You already heard Dawson talk earlier about he refuses to give up his coffee. It's not going to happen. My man likes a little fancy coffee, too. He, he had some names to it. I don't know anything about coffee. Nitro cold brew. That's what we're going with. That, that's what we're going with? Yeah. Man, there you go. Okay. Make it myself now. Save a lot of money doing that as well. <laughs> My man's saving money. Ralph on Twitter says, I'm happy to see that alcohol is finally being recognized as a food group, giving up sweets because soon it will be. <laughs> What's your favorite Easter candy? Yes. Easter candy will be coming right along. T. Wirtz on Twitter says, I'm going to try giving up, giving up. My man says, I'm not giving up anything. Keep those votes coming on our foodie poll question of the week, which is our poll question of the day on Wednesdays. What food drink are you giving up for Lent? Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. We'll take your phone calls. Hotline is open. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on The Game. 
This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are some hosts that talk like they know everything, but you don't have to worry about our guy, RP3. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. That's because he never knows what he's talking about. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Back to the show in the know. RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Game hotline 337-706-0111. The game hotline is open 337-706-0111. We'll talk a little college basketball. Obviously, regular season is starting to wrap up for several conferences. Dawson, Cajuns have their final two games this week, both women and men. But I want to talk about North Carolina because I am stunned by how poorly they have played this year. I was inside the Superdome watching them take on Duke in the Final Four, first time they had ever met in the Final Four, and North Carolina sending Coach K home with an L in his final game. They played for the national championship a year ago. The Tar Heels did. They started off the season as the number one ranked team in the country. If the tournament started today, they're not in the field. They're 0-9 in Quadrant 1 in games. They'll have another opportunity Saturday when they take on number 6-ranked Virginia, who, by the way, plays an ugly style of basketball, but it works for them. They've won a national title with it. The Tar Heels... They have good players. They played for the national title last year and now they're on the brink of not even making the NCAA tournament it is mind-blowing to me how bad things have gone there on tobacco road Duke is not having a great season either by any stretch of the imagination with the new coaching change we expected that but I'm stunned by just how poorly North Carolina has played this year they have been atrocious especially against Quality competition. They haven't beat, they haven't notched one quad one win at all. At all. Yeah, I can't stand quad one wins in this whole system that we have with quadrant wins, um, but that's a conversation for a different day. Yeah, they haven't been very good. And I think it kind of goes to show you how difficult it is to win in today's college basketball. But at the same time, yeah, clearly the talent is there. There's no doubt. They brought back most of that roster as well. It's not like they had a complete, you know, overhaul of guys. Um, now, look. Correct. They weren't overly successful in the regular season last year either they caught fire late because they were what an eight seed uh that made a deep run correct so this group for whatever reason hasn't been very consistent despite being super talented but uh yeah no it it is surprising and they're going to have to make a late surge to even uh get in as an at-large bid the ACC also not as good as it's been in the past um no at all they're so, down so that's not helping them but in in some ways, it should have been helping them because they could have they should have had a chance to really kind of run through the ACC for the most part. So, 
They didn't, and it looks like it's Virginia's to completely control. You know, And look, it, it, it's that time of year where teams are making a push. North Carolina's going to have to make one. Michigan State made a statement last night. Tom Izzo's team, they've, they have, they've had a down year. They're only 17-10, and 10, but they notched a 15-point win over number 17-ranked Indiana. It's a huge win for them, a big-time win for them to help their resume. I thought Michigan State was going to be in anyway, but last night definitely helped in that regard in making their case for the NCAA tournament. And Villanova, they helped their case as well. I still think they're on the outside looking in as it stands right now. But the fact that they were able to get a 64-63 win over 16-ranked Xavier helps them as they move forward now heading towards the Big East tournament next week. Like yeah. that that's a shot in the arm. They still need some work. They still need to do some work. Yeah, I don't I don't see Villanova. They're currently, I believe, 14 and 14 overall. It would take a it would take a big run in the Big East tournament and the bracket to fall their way to kind of have and so you know, it's funny when we get to this point in the season, some teams are looking for the easiest path to the conference championship game. Some teams are looking for harder paths because they want more opportunities to beat top teams because they want to get in without having to win the tournament. So that's something to look out for. The two teams I'm looking for as far as the bubble, uh, West Virginia and Texas Tech, two teams at the bottom of the Big 12, but the Big 12 is absolutely loaded this year. Maybe the best conference in, the, in, in America in basketball this season. A chance that nine out of ten teams make it to the tournament, maybe even all ten if, if things happen just right for them. Um, but Texas Tech had some injuries early on. They've gotten healthier, and they're winning games now. What, same thing with West Virginia, so those are two teams I'm keeping an eye on. If they can get a couple more big wins down the stretch, the Big 12 is uh, is could have like a record number or, or record percentage of teams that get in. It's phenomenal. Let's head out to the game hotline. Welcome on Doug, who's been patiently waiting. Doug, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? Well, good morning. Ray. Happy uh, Ash Wednesday to everybody. Um, S- same to you, brother. Unless you bait. LSU baseball, Ray. What a difference a year makes, huh? My uh, Lord, man. First time I seen skeins, my jaw hit the floor. Like, God almighty, this guy's throwing 99-mile-an-hour heaters. Really love what Coach Johnson did with this team, bringing in transfers. He really beefed up this team. Now, we're going to see just how good they are once they get into uh, conference play, you know. That's a different story. Uh, Western Michigan is just like a warm-up, but, I mean, yesterday they, the bats really exploded on Southern. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to see how Bryce Collins comes along. We didn't see much of him last year. I know he had a surgery a couple of three years back, but uh, I was thinking he'd be more uh, – he'd, he'd show more this year than he did last year. And then last year, I mean, Coach Maneri was just – duct taping together a starting lineup. He did it all year with the bench, man. And, I mean, Blake Money was supposed to be the man. Now he's a, he's a closer. Oh, he closed yesterday anyway. I think it was him that closed. Anyway, Ray, uh, I'm really excited about this year's Tiger team. And I did watch the Cajun-UCLA game, Ray, and I thought I was going to have a stroke <laughs> during that game. I didn't agree with, with Coach Glasgow pulling – Sam Landry, you should have let her fight her way out of it. You know, I think they were trying to ask her to throw drop balls, and I don't think she's got her drop balls down. I mean, she really got a mean rise ball and a change up. That's her stuff. 
Hook Glasgow should have left her in. And man, if they'd have beat UCLA, that'd have been the biggest upset of the weekend, maybe the year. But Doug, they still got plenty of time, and they're still going to play. They're still going to play some tough competition: Texas, Florida, LSU. Still on the on the agenda. And 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 look, this is a team. I said it before. They have great Sun Belt pitchers. They don't have great pitchers yet overall. Right. Right. They're going to get there, though. Right. And, I know. I, and, and, and yeah, it's a I process. And people just got to yeah. be patient. They'll get there because taking their lumps and, and losing these close games to elite competition is only going to make Sam Landry and the rest of that staff better. So when they get in an NCAA regional again, they will be prepared to get the job done. That's what it's all about. I think. I believe you, Ray. I really believe you, man. Lady Tigers, too, Ray. There you Lady go, Tigers brother. Appreciate too. the phone call, bud. Enjoy your day, buddy. Thank you, Ray. Yeah, you just got to be patient because they have the potential here. Look, it, it's they dominate the Sun Belt. The Sun Belt doesn't help them. It just hasn't for a long time because they're so much better than everybody else in the Sun Belt. So what happens for the Cajuns, and we've seen this, and that's why Jerry went was so aggressive with the scheduling, is that they'll play some some tough competition, but it'll be two months earlier. Then they'll go through the Sun Belt, and they won't be tested. And then they get to a regional, and all of a sudden they're playing elite competition again. And they get tested, and they lose. This is a way for them to be better prepared. Which means you're going to have four more losses than you're accustomed to for the Raging Cajun softball program. But trust me, the goal is to get out of the regional. The goal is to host a regional, and the goal is to get to the Supers. Something they haven't done in quite a while. You take your L's now, so you don't take them later. Got to take a timeout. When we return, Ron Higgins, the mad dog from Tiger Details, will join us, talk all things LSU. That's next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Half the week is in the books, which means it's time to talk Bayou Bengals with Tiger Details columnist, the mad dog himself, Ron Higgins. Here is Hold That Tiger on RP3 and Company. Good morning, mad dog. How are you, bud? There's like a delay there. Did you like go get coffee or something, or just came walking around just trying to get loose, or what? What's, what was it about? Like, but I don't drink coffee. You believe that? I don't drink it at all. Don't this touch is it. Your normal state. Oh, my God, your poor wife. <laughs> uh, me not drinking coffee is uh, the least of my wife's problems with me. <laughs> so we'll we'll just leave it at that. Uh, yeah. Did you have a good Mardi Gras, brother? Yeah, I didn't, you know, uh, I didn't get uh, killed. I didn't, uh, I didn't, you know, participate in the mass crowds. My, my highlight of Mardi Gras was going to go, going to work out the health club. That was basically it. And, and uh, you know, keeping track of LSU baseball. That was about it. That was my, my Mardi Gras highlight. I try to stay out of the fire, out of, out of the gunfire. Smart man, smart man. All right, you mentioned LSU baseball. I want to start there. Look, Western Michigan, not much of competition. Southern, even though they traditionally have a pretty good SWAC program, uh, not much of competition for the number one team in the country. I know it's only four games in, but 
what's kind of stood out to you early on about Jay Johnson's team? Uh, the two things that didn't have last year, starting pitching and, and fielding. Uh, they haven't committed an error yet this year. I don't know if LSU even went more than two games last year without an error. Uh, even Trey Morgan talked about he might get bored at first base because every throw has been hitting him in the chest instead of having to stretch. Uh, and the starting pitching has been outstanding. Uh, I, mean, I mean, yesterday that wasn't great. Uh, the freshman did okay Sunday. The first two were good, but the, the relief pitching has been really, really good. Uh, they started three freshmen in position, all position uh, players, and, and all been great. One of them is like second on the team in hitting. Uh, Jared Jones at DH, Brady Neal, a catcher, is great. A freshman. Uh, we'll find out a lot more this weekend and then the round rock classic. Uh, but uh, I, I really, you can see why this team was ranked number one. And and uh, again, this week this weekend will tell a lot. Uh, you know, Round Rock basically is an Austin suburb, so they'll play three uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, take Monday off, and then travel across town to play Texas, University of Texas, at, at their home stadium. So this is a good little good little test for LSU to see kind of where they are. Uh, but, yeah, I like what I see. I mean, I, I can – it's just a really solid team with right now no apparent weaknesses. You know, we, we spend so much time talking about the skipper or talking about Dylan Cruz. And I, I felt this way about him his entire career. It always feels like Trey Morgan's under the radar a little bit. And, and that's surprising because we saw what he could do yesterday, hit for the natural cycle. The guy's a, a, a good fielding first baseman. He's got a heck of a bat. Good all-around just ball player. But it, it feels like his entire career at LSU – he's kind of been under the radar a little bit. And that's a weird thing to talk about, especially a caliber of player that Trey is. Well, I mean, uh, he, he may be a first-round draft choice. Uh, yeah, you know, last year, that's what I'm talking last, about. Last year, he played with a hurt knee the whole year and couldn't run like he wanted to. But still, look, from day one, he's probably been the best fielding first baseman in LSU history. I mean, easy. Just absolute uh, – a ballerina over there, a combination of a ballerina and a hockey goalie, as I say, when you talk about him as a field, a first baseman, because he's dealt with some really bad infielders for the last couple of years who can't get the ball to first base. Uh, that's not the case this year. They, they, they've got a good good infield. Uh, you know, he started out the, the I mean, he didn't get a hit in Michigan's uh, Western Michigan series. He was zero for zero for seven. Uh, hit the ball hard. Uh, Flawless in the field, but came out yesterday and put up put up eight RBI and uh, hit for the cycle in order, which is rare. Uh, it's rare to hit for the cycle, but to go single, double, triple, and home run in order is like uh, lottery type stuff. Plus, he's a great kid. Uh, he's always a delight to talk to. Uh, and, I mean, he, and he's got a, a good sense of humor, and uh, he's always been just a, one of the more likable guys on the team, and, and he. Uh, he's just a stud. He's always been overshadowed by Dylan Cruz or last year, Dylan Cruz and Jacob Berry. Uh, but to me, he's one of the rocks of this team. He's always has been. Let's talk women's basketball because they got a win that they're supposed to. They, they bounced back in a, in a big way, even though they kind of had their, their hands full against Ole Miss. Look, Angel Reese is special. She's probably going to be a first-team All-American. 
But when I look at this roster, I don't see anyone that consistently helps her out from game to game. Alexis Morris, when she's on, she's on, but she gets into foul trouble a lot, and her shot is sometimes a struggle bus. Does LSU have enough offensive firepower to make a run into the NCAA tournament, Ron? Yeah, they do, but it's not a Final Four run. Uh, it's a Sweet 16 run, maybe an Elite 8 run to get the right uh, right matchup. But when they play in South Carolina, they, they got exposed for what they don't have. Uh, they don't have enough tall people. They don't have enough depth, really. I mean, they, they don't have enough of a, a lot of different things. But you, know, you have to keep reminding yourself, this is just year two of Kip Mulkey. It's hard for it's hard to remember that because they just been beating everybody. Uh, and Angel Reese is such a a, a good player. Uh, she's got again. She she doesn't get consistent help from from one person. Uh, they'll pop up from game to game. Uh, maybe that maybe that's the mo of this team this year. Uh, but you know they got. Good recruits come in. I'm sure she'll get some good good transfers because she she just you know she plugged in some great ones this year. But I think I think they're a year away, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I, yeah, I do think they, I do definitely think this is a Sweet 16 team and a right thing uh, lead eight. But I don't know if they if they get enough consistency like you talked about from the rest of the players. Uh, uh, Alexis Morris is just maddening to watch. I mean. And and Kim does a really good job of being optimistic about it. And then she and she'll say, you know, uh, you know, Alexis hits the shots when it counts. Uh but what about the other shots? And what about all the turnovers? Uh and she's a, a senior. That said, they don't win without her. Uh she kind of has that fire, that that spunk. Uh uh it's almost like she turns her game on when she has to. Uh, I don't know if that's a good thing or if that's a, a, you know, her trying to be a point guard. And point guard is a difficult position because you want to run the team, but you don't really know when to take your shot or not. You don't know if you're disrupting the offense. And, and, and people who've been shooting guards who go to point guards, it's a hard, it's a hard process because every time you pull up for a shot, you, I mean, at first, you start to wonder: Is this a good shot? Am I disrupting our offense? Is somebody have a better shot? But uh, she should be used to that by now. And so, I, I think that's always a, a problem for a, a guy. From a, somebody goes from a shooting guard, guard to a point guard. But she's had a good year. Uh, uh, the Bayou Barbies continue to play well. Uh, uh, you know. Uh, a little too much in the social media for my taste, but it works for her. Oh, what are you talking about, bud? You're a social media guru. When I think of people that are excellent on social media, you're the first person that springs to mind. Well, I don't go. I mean, I don't. Go, I don't go overboard with it, or I don't. Uh, I try not to. I try to be selective about what I do. But I mean, <laughs> look, she's promoting herself. She's promoting her brand, and and. It seems to help. The more she talks, it seems it helps her play better. So good for her. There we go. There we go. We're talking with Ron Higgins, the mad dog from Tiger Details. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. All right. Uh, we got to talk about the men's basketball team. So, well, oh, I, I, know, I, I know. This is going so well. <laughs> it, 
they lost to South Carolina at home. Uh, a South Carolina team that was eight wins. It was an eight-win team, and they lost to an eight-win dreadful South Carolina team at home. And poor Matt McMahon afterwards, I just heard it in his voice, Ron. It was just like, uh, I got nothing for y'all. I got, I got no answers here. This team is, this team is just the worst. You know, he, he, he talked about how they didn't come out with a lot of fire and passion or whatever. And then he, ta- he accepts responsibility for it, which I'll immediately ask the question. Matt, don't you think that somewhere along the line, the players are responsible for wanting to play? He said, well, you know, it, it's just my responsibility. It's, it's not his responsibility. My God, that's about the only game you really have a really good shot of winning. You're a seven-and-a-half-point favorite, and you come out there and watch him drill five straight three-pointers to open the game, and you just let him shoot threes. Everybody gets well against LSU. Everybody gets well against LSU's team. It's an awful basketball team with a lot of players who right, really right now are just playing out the string and don't give a crap. The freshmen they have are playing hard. The rest of them, I don't know about. Uh, it's, it's 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 tough to watch this team. They're playing Vanderbilt tonight. And here's an example. Vanderbilt got beat by 57 points by Alabama. 57. And their reaction was to go out and win five. They've won five straight games. Five straight. And last game at Auburn. Uh, you know, five games ago after being 57, you know, maybe we should fire Jerry Stackhouse, coach. They've won five straight. Uh, LSU loses tonight. They tie the school record for most losses in a season. I oh. believe it's 15, yeah. It'll be, uh, it'll be the most losses by a first-year head coach in LSU history. Uh, there's a good chance it won't happen. If LSU doesn't come out, come out wanders around like they've been doing, it's just uh, – I'm, I'm just ready to – uh, you're, you're, dog, you're, you're ready I mean, for the season to be over, but let, I, I want to pose one final question to you. Because it's taking uh, – Scott Woodward hired Buzz Williams at Texas A&M, and it was a struggle for a couple of seasons there in College Station. But he has definitely turned it around. They're a top 25 team. They just beat Tennessee. They're going to be an NCAA tournament team. Should fans have faith that Scott Woodward's found the man to turn things around at LSU, looking at – the last men's basketball coach he hired and what he's now been able to do. It took a couple of years. It took longer than folks wanted, especially folks in College Station, but it finally started to turn things around. Is is patience the key here for LSU fans? Oh, well, yes, yeah, patience, but I don't think necessarily can turn around. I mean, until the NCAA comes forth with some kind of ruling, basically Matt McMahon's recruiting is being held hostage by the NCAA. Hmm. You know, NCAA just still, you know, haven't said what's going on. You know, we're going to dock you these scholarships or whatever, or you're going to be on probation. So how do you sell your program when you don't know what's going on? Uh, I mean, you know, apparently Will Wade could. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he could, he could, you know, he kept getting good recruits. When was he paying them? Maybe he was. I don't know. I mean, but I just feel bad for Matt McMahon. I really do. Uh I just want to see him explode one time. I, I just it, it might be it would make me feel better. Just I want to see him. I want to see to, you ask him that question in a post game press conference. If you let me know that you're going to do that, I will make another trip over to BR to be part of that game and watch that team play 
just to watch you in the postgame presser go, Coach, don't you think it's time for you to just explode and go off like a nuclear bomb on the court with your team? Yeah, you know, Matt, I know that your your whole MO is about, you know, staying calm and, and being in the moment and but don't you just once just want to go off on your team for not playing hard to start the game? Don't you just want to get into a referee one time? I mean, don't you want to be Gene Hackman Hoosiers and go up to a referee and go, give me a technical? What for? <laughs> just just give me a technical. Talk me out of this game. <laughs> just once. Just once. Show, show me some emotion, okay? I'm tired of watching a guy just cool. I, I want to see a guy who is as frustrated watching this garbage as LSU fans are. <laughs> like, um, I mean, look, they got a, I'm, I mean, the biggest ovation they got the other day, I think it was when they, they scored their first basket. Or they, they finally stopped uh, South Carolina from shooting five, uh, three pointers. Uh, most of the ovations LSU games this year is when, they, when they've gotten their first basket, which has usually been like five or six minutes into the game after, after missing 10 shots in a row to open the game. There you go. Uh, there you go. Oh, my God. Thanks for ending this on an upper uh, – on a good positive Hey, note. hey, you'll see me on Sunday. I'm coming over for senior night for the women's basketball game, bud. So I'll there see you, you on go, Sunday. Man. It'll be great to see you. There we go. There we go. That'll give you some optimism, brother. Appreciate the time, my friend. All right, man. We'll see you. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. We love talking about sports. Yeah. You love listening to sports. Yeah. Sounds like we were meant to be together. Or at least friends with benefits. Aren't you glad you found us? Back to more of the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The poll question of the day on Wednesdays, of course, is our foodie poll question of the week. This was inspired by Lent. What food or drink are you going to be giving up for Lent this year? Are you going to give up coffee? Are you going to give up sweets? Are you going to give up alcohol or could it be other? Right now, leading the vote, 38% of you say sweets. 31% say alcohol. 31% say other. No votes yet for coffee. Southwest Louisiana says I ain't giving up my coffee. That's what that tells me. Not going to do it. I'll give up other things. I'm not giving up my cup of joe every morning. Whether you drink coffee black or you go with the uh, bougie coffee. That's what that's what D'Lo likes. He likes that bougie coffee now with all the different types of ingredients and all types of fancy names to it and everything like that. I just There's not really any fancy ingredients. It's just coffee. <laughs> the only fancy ingredient is nitrogen, which is what it's infused with, which gives it that creamy texture. Ooh. Man's got nitrogen up in there. Salty Steve says on the Twitter, my weakness is smoothies. I'm giving them up for Lent. This means I have nothing to reduce saltiness. Mordens won't have anything on me. So we could expect our guy, Salty Steve, to be on point for Lent. Just go ahead and prepare yourself. That will be absolutely phenomenal, and I am totally here for it. 
Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll share them throughout the final hour of this Ash Wednesday edition of RP3 and Company. Two hours down, one hour to go. Toby Christie from tobychristie.com will join us to talk all things NASCAR at 8.30. But to lead off hour number three, the Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer, the play-by-play voice for ESPN Plus broadcast of Raging Cajun Athletics. Dan McDonald will join us. A huge day for Raging Cajun Athletics. Doubleheader for basketball. Baseball opens up at home as well. We'll get a preview of all that from Dan. That's how we're going to lead off hour number three here on the game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. which means the final hour of today's show is here. It has arrived, if you will. Half an hour from right now, Toby Christie from tobychristie.com will join us to talk all things NASCAR. Don't forget to go vote on our poll question of the day. It's our foodie question of the week. That's always what we do on Wednesdays. What are you going to be giving up for Lent? Obviously, it begins today with Ash Wednesday. Are you going to give up coffee? Are you going to give up alcohol? What about sweets or other? Go vote and leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. But right now, we're going to talk all things Raging Cajuns. A huge day in Lafayette. Women's basketball, men's basketball, doubleheader at the Cajun Dome. Next to last game of the regular season. Playoff, the tournament seating rather is still up in the air, especially for the women. They could do themselves a huge favor by getting a couple wins this week against teams currently above them in the standings. The men trying to lock up that top four seat as well. They could even go up as high as two based on what happens this week in the conference. In between the women's game that starts off at 5 and then the men at 7.30, you have baseball, home opener, Four games set against BYU at the Teague. That begins tonight. First pitch at 6 o'clock. To break it all down for us is the man who is the play-by-play voice for ESPN Plus broadcast of Raging Cajun Athletics, the Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer. Dan McDonald joins us now. Dan, good morning, brother. How are you, my friend? Well, I'm, I wish I could give up cold medicine right now because I think I'd be, I wouldn't have to take it. I'd be much better, but I will fight my way through it. It's game day. It is game day, brother. You better, you better drink some tea and add some honey in that or do something today. Make sure you're good to go for tonight. All right, so let's. I want to start off with the women because, uh, look, it, it, Jonesboro has always been uh, a thorn in Gary Broadhead's side when they have to travel up there. They, they lose a game they probably shouldn't have lost. But all that being said, final week of the season's here, and they still have an opportunity to be a top four seed if they just simply take care of their business. Do you believe that Gary's team is going to be able to go out there and take down the likes of Texas State and others to be able to get a top four seed? Well, can they win those two games? Yes, they've already proved it. I mean, they went to Texas State 
yeah. earlier this year and won by 20. It was uh, it was a game that still sort of you know rattles around in your mind as how that happened. But you know, can they do it? Yes. And if they win two games, they still need a couple of the things to fall right. Uh, but if they win two games, they've got probably as good a chance as anybody to finish in that top four. And really, if you don't share the conference title, which mathematically they still have a shot, but that would be just a whole lot of things have to fall crazily. But if you can't do that, the the next thing is to finish in the top four because really the seeding two, three, and four – doesn't matter a whole lot except it determines a matchup. Maybe you get an easier matchup first game if you are the two seed, but not that much difference. So the goal for them, you know, they take care of what they can. If you win two and and then you just wait and see what happens, but they win two, they obviously they have to win two. But if they can do that, then they can sit back and say, We you know, we did everything we could in the last week. And, you know, they you know, with their you know, with their squad you know, Gary Broadhead has said many times before, you know, he said, I don't, sometimes the buy's not good. And, you know, that's what that's what he believes. I believe you want to get as much rest as you can. But he says sometimes the buy's not good and and you play your way in. And they've had some success doing that in the past. But, you know, it's a better, it's an easier path if they can win two and have everything else go right for them. Does this team have enough offensive firepower to win the conference tournament? That's the big question. When when they play well and when everybody's healthy, I think they can. You know, they it it when you start looking at the numbers, you try to figure out, well, you know, how are they still in position to get a top four seed because they're next to last in the league in scoring, they're last in the league in rebounding, um, they are last in the league in assists per game, they're twelfth in shooting. Uh, you know, how are they here? And they're here because of defense. They're only giving up 57 points a game, even less than that in conference play. Um, you know, that's where they're, they're beating teams. You know, they're, they're second in the league in turnover margin. They're doing a lot of things on that end. And that is a, that's a trade of, of, uh, Coach Broadhead's teams. Now, you know, would they be a lot better off? You know, I keep saying, uh, ifs and buts. But, you know, if Brandy Williams is on this team this year, I think this team probably, you know, has a chance to already be, you know, contending for the conference championship this weekend. But, you know, they need a healthy Lene Wheaton. They need for Tamara Johnson to play well. They need for Nubia Benedict to play well. They need to have that three punch outside to to make some things happen this weekend. But can they do it? Oh, I don't think there's any question they can. Let's switch over to Bob Marlin's team. Regular season title is likely out of reach now after losing a tough one at JMU. When you look at this team, the second half of games, the ones that they've lost is where they've really lost those games. They play well in those games in the first half. But, Dan, when it gets to the second half, for whatever reason, whether they're too tired or they lose some steam – that's where they come up short, and they've lost those games, and that's kind of kept them out of the discussion for winning the regular season title. What is it that you're seeing, especially in the second half of games with Bob Marlin's team? Well, I think this team plays on emotion more than previous uh, Coach Marlin teams, I believe. Just from watching them, I mean, in the pregame, they're, they're always bouncing around, yelling and so forth. I don't remember this being as much of that in the past. And, you know, emotion is kind of a, is, is an up and down thing. 
uh, when when things start you know when things start going downhill, that's when you know emotions start playing in, and I think they've gotten trapped by that a few times this year, and they're obviously a team that hey, if they shoot well. You know, if they shoot it as well as they can, they're a top 25 team. If they don't shoot it as well as they can, they're, you know, they're a team that's going to scrap to try to get a decent seed in the conference tournament. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, they have to shoot it well. I think there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And, and they have for the most part. They're shooting more than 48% as a team, 38% from three point range. Uh, they shot it well, but there have been games and if, Every team's going to have shooting slumps. Theirs have come at, at some not good times for them, and they've come, like you said, a lot of times in second halves, particularly road games. Um, not as much at home, but still sometimes. If they're going to if they're going to claim, you know, a uh, a share, which they still can mathematically, uh, they've got to shoot it well. But the good thing is they're playing two teams this at home this week that they've already beaten on the road and. All they have to do is, is sort of hold serve, and if they do that, they'll uh, you know they can at least get a share. They only need one to get that top four seed, and that's a good thing. If you don't win the conference again, all you want to do is finish in the top four. South Alabama is who they're going to wrap up with on Friday night. That game got pushed to to have a bigger TV audience. The Jaguars are probably the hottest team in the conference, winning I think it's what seven straight now. Uh, they have a very, what I call, animated coach, and I'm trying to be nice there. I, uh, I don't really care for his antics. But the Jaguars, you know, are playing really good basketball. How important is it for the Cajuns? You say if they win one, they get a top four seed. That's great. How important is it, though, for this team, Dan, to win Friday night as well against South Alabama and have that momentum of winning two straight games heading into Pensacola? Well, one thing that if they can win tonight – they'll have a chance to do something no team in the Cajun Omer has ever done, and that's gone unbeaten at home. Uh, as good as teams as they've had, no no team has ever gone a whole season without losing a home game. If they win tonight, that South Alabama game on Friday night will give them a chance to do that. And that's something that, that Coach Marlin has talked about. That's something that he's talked about to his team. He is they, they That is a, a seriously high goal that they have put there. Uh, now, granted, South Alabama's playing well. They're playing unbelievably well offensively. Just looking back at their last couple of box scores, what they have done. But, you know, they're finally playing up to the potential that a lot of people thought that South Alabama had going into the year. And then they just, you know, they laid a few eggs early in the season. But, you know, they're starting to play like they're capable of playing. Friday night, I think, is going to be a great game. But I'm hoping that if the Cajuns win tonight and – things don't go you know well in some of the other games they need to fall right that they don't have a letdown saying there's not a lot else we have to play for i think that having a perfect home season will give them enough plus it's south alabama and you know there's there's a rivalry there even though it hasn't been as intense the last couple of years it still is a rivalry uh and you know like you said with uh with coach riley he's he's animated and i think sometimes you know other teams see that and they it sort of gets them juiced up a little bit too Hope that happens Friday night. Dan, do you believe that the men's team can still maybe get into, let's say they don't win the conference tournament, but they make it to the championship game. Do you still think they have a, a chance of maybe making it to the NIT, or do you think their season's going to be done? I think they can get in. 
Uh, and it depends on a lot, you know, if, uh, say, Southern Miss wins the league. If they don't, it wins the league regular season. If they don't win the tournament, well, they're automatically in the NIT. Does that take a spot that Louisiana might have? I think a great position for them. If they don't win the regular season, doesn't look like they can. If they don't win the regular season, the regular season champion needs to win the tournament. For And I think that will open up a spot for the Cajuns in the NIT. Now, I'd much rather them win the tournament and get the NCAA well, tournament, Well, of obviously. course, yes. But uh, if, if the regular season champ wins the tournament, I mean, the Cajuns are going to finish. If they get to the championship game, they're going to finish with like 25 wins. That's hard for a, you know an NIT to leave out. Uh, has it happened? Yeah, it has. But I think basketball now with this expanded league, I think they get a little more notoriety. I guess you can from you know from the selection committees and from the the national services that feed into those. Uh, do I think there's a chance? Yeah, I do. Winning these two this week can add a lot to that. Wrapping up our conversation with Dan McDonald, he's the play-by-play man for ESPN Plus broadcast of Raging Cajun Athletics. He's also Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer. He joins us here. All right, but let's talk softball, baseball quickly. Softball, uh, look, they, they played tough. They lost a couple of games they probably should have won against top seven competition as they go one and five at the Tax Act Clearwater Invitational. They do bounce back yesterday with a win over top 25-ranked UCF, a dominant win, a no-hitter, if you will. Uh, how important are these non-conference games for the Raging Cajuns to help better prepare them to host a regional and to win a regional? Uh, I think pretty important because I think you know people in the softball world, you know, they know this program. Uh, and I think they know it a little better after the tournament in Clearwater. You know, they had a chance to win a couple of, you know, really take a couple of really big-time wins. I mean, they had UCLA beat uh, and then end up losing that one by one run. I think it was absolutely huge for them to do what they did last night and to to come back against a team that, you know, they are nationally ranked. They're, they're kind of low in the poll, but they're still in the poll and a team that's got some respect nationwide, and they just dominated them. Eight to nothing win on the road at Central Florida. Some, a lot of people are going to look at that and say, well, you know, maybe this was more the team that we, you know, that we figured that they would be. I think it was huge for them to come back and win that one last night just for their own mental well being. It, it does what they did in Clearwater, you know. Uh, if they could have taken a couple of those wins, you know how great would it have been? But it does put a little more pressure on some of these games because their schedule—they're just getting started. You know, they've got a whole lot more really high-level teams that they're going to play here over the next two or three weeks before they start Sun Belt Conference play. It puts maybe a little bit more pressure on those games. They need to win some of them, starting with this weekend, a couple of games against LSU in that crossover tournament. Need to need to win one, even two of those. And then you know play well you know for the next couple of weeks. If they can do that, I think you know the the tournament will be a learning experience, but it'll help them down the road. Baseball opens up the home slate tonight with a four game set against BYU. Cougars are a pretty good program, maybe even a little bit better than the team that they just took two or three from against Rice. What are you looking for from Matt Digg's team in this four game stretch? Well, tell you what, BYU impressed me going to Ruston and splitting four games because Louisiana Tech is going to be a very good team. They're picked to win Conference USA this year, and we're not even close, I don't think. Do I, I think BYU is probably better than Rice. They're probably better 
pitching-wise. I think the Cajuns are going to see better pitching than they did against Rice, maybe with one notable exception. But, you know, I was – you know, except for giving away free passes, walks, and hit batsmen, and that's going to be something that I know is getting harped on all this week. If they eliminate a lot of those, not only do they sweep last weekend, they, they make it look easy. Uh, if, if they can get rid of those pitching staff, not walk people and not hit people and not give people free bases, give them basically free runs several times, if they can get – where they can avoid that, if they can get that out of their system and so forth. I think this team's going to be pretty good. They're getting offense right now from people who maybe weren't un, weren't expected to contribute like they are. Guys like C.J. Willis and, and Connor Higgs are hitting the ball all over the place in Houston. These other guys, they're going to come around. Uh, Max Marshock's going to hit. Kyle DeBarge is going to hit. Those people, uh, Julian Brock's going to hit. Those Everybody starts swinging it. And those people who started out hot keep going hot. This team can be dangerous offensively. Dan, appreciate your time. As always, brother, enjoy the busy uh, next few weeks that it's going to be for you, my friend. And uh, rest up and get to feeling better, bud. It will be great fun. I appreciate it. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Great news, my sports-loving friend. No more aimlessly searching for sports talk love by swiping left or right. That's because you've already found the perfect match. For Sports Talk Love, that is... Now, back to the only lover you'll ever need. The game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. One of the best teams in the country in men's basketball, a team that looks like a Final Four contender, maybe even a national title contender in a year where it seemingly is wide open, is dealing with yet another incident. Well, it's really an extension of a tragic incident. Alabama's best player, you could argue, is Brandon Miller, the freshman phenom. But he's now been linked to the off campus or rather on campus murder that has occurred latest reports have that the Alabama freshman standout Brandon Miller is the one that brought his teammate the handgun that was used to kill a woman last month this is according to police in Tuscaloosa Tuscaloosa detective Brandon Culpepper testified on Tuesday that Miller in fact brought Darius Miles gun to him on the night of the fatal shooting of a 23 year old after Miles texted him and asked him to do so. Culpepper's testimony came during a preliminary hearing for both Miles and Michael Lynn Davis, who both faced capital murder charges for the death of Harris, who was shot and killed near the University of Alabama's campus on January 15th. Investigators wrote in a court document that Miles, who has since been, of course, removed from the Crimson Tide program, admitted to providing the gun used in the fatal shooting but that Davis fired the weapon. Culpepper said Tuesday that Miles told Davis where his gun was in Miller's car. Miller has not been charged with a crime, and Paula Whitley, Tuscaloosa Chief Deputy District Attorney, 
told AL.com yesterday that there's nothing we could charge Miller with. Some people have asked, could he have been an accessory uh, accessory to murder? It looks like the uh, chief deputy district attorney says there's nothing they could possibly charge him with. So you had one reserve player that was injured that is being charged with capital murder along with an associate of his that was not part of the basketball team. Now we have another member of the basketball team actually came and delivered the weapon that was used in the murder. These is a tragic situation. It's a serious situation. And if you move aside from the tragedy and the human element of this, because we are a sports talk show. How does this impact this team? Like, I just... It's a huge... It's a huge hurdle. Because now your best player... It was one thing to have a reserve player be charged for murder, but now your best player, a starter, is also linked to this murder. Now, he's not being charged... So there is that distinction, and I want to make sure that we're clear about that. But just, whoa. Just like, and every few years this happens with college athletics. Every few years we have some sort of incident, a tragic incident, whether it's sexual assault, whether it's murder, something going on with kids at colleges that play sports, that have the opportunity to better themselves, that have their careers and their lives essentially end over nonsense, over unnecessary violence. And and every few years, we're reminded about this. And this is what this reminds me of. This reminds me of what happened at Baylor or what's happened at New Mexico State or what's happened at other places where you're just like, really? Really? It's just so unnecessary to take someone's life to begin with. What are we doing? What are we doing here? Just so sad. It's so sad and it's so just unnecessary. There's no altercation that you're going to have. There's no beef. There's nothing that's going to be happening that is worth you taking somebody's life over. It just isn't. Because not only... Do you are you taking the actual life of someone else and essentially damaging and ruining their not only uh, uh, you're taking their life, you're ruining and damaging and putting together so much harm on their family's lives forever. Because when someone is taken away from somebody like that, you never recover from that. You never move on from that. You also in turn ruin your own life. And ruin your family's lives as well over what? Like, it's just sad. It's just sad and just makes you just want to pray for people and pray for everyone. Because this happens and we're reminded of it pretty frequently. This happens over and over again. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll shift gears. We'll talk NASCAR with Toby Christie. That's next right here on The Game.
This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. A recent survey said that game listeners prefer our station than filing their taxes. Take that, taxes. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, the Daytona 500 is in the books, but that just kicks off the season for NASCAR's highest level of racing. What do we look forward to next? Who are some of the real contenders? A lot of times people that win, the folks that win Daytona really don't play a role the rest of the way, right? Especially with restrictor plate racing being what it is these days. To give us his insight on that and so much more is the man that is behind tobychristie.com. Toby Christie himself joins us now on RP3 and Company. Toby, good morning. How are you, brother? RP3, I'm doing well. Oh, my gosh. It's good to talk to you. It's good to talk to you, too, bud. First things first, my producer, my new producer, he's a diehard NASCAR guy. I'm going to bring him in real quick here, Toby. Dawson, uh, you had a nickname for the man who won the Daytona 500, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. You lovingly referred to him as? Ricky Stenhouse. That's not mine. <laughs> it's been said before. I think Kyle Busch said it, but, yeah. You know. Ricky Stenhouse. It's got what some you, validity to it. Yeah, I mean, do, do, you approve, yeah. do you approve of that moniker for the Daytona 500 winner? Well, he has been uh, known as that for a long, long time around NASCAR circles. Uh, and that was... I mean, that was the big knock on Keith Stenhouse Jr. coming into this year was the overaggression sometimes bit him quite often. Uh, he even admitted that in his post-race press conference. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, you can argue that maybe all that overaggression throughout the years put him in the perfect spot when the, the chips were on the table, uh, that he knew exactly what to do and what not to do uh, to win the Daytona 500. You know, what stood out to me about the 500, was, despite it being the longest one in, in history, laps wise was you know the reaction by the drivers afterwards and it was yeah. you know so many guys were very honest about they don't like driving at Daytona they don't like driving at the super speedways the restricted plate racing and I remember as a kid watching NASCAR and kind of following it guys used to love driving at Daytona and loved driving at Talladega and they also had success elsewhere but now we're in this weird place where guys are either really good at those racetracks and not good on on others or we have guys that are good on others but not good there and there seems to be a level of I really would prefer not to race there at all why has that happened well I think the reason that's happened is just because we're seeing so many of these multi-car crashes and things Guys are packed up so tightly. So when you look back to the early 90s, mid-90s, and even early 2000s, the pack racing at Daytona and Caldega were exciting. But when you look back to it, it wasn't like it is right now where they were just so up on top of each other, especially in the the 90s. You had just long kind of strings of cars uh, where at the time that was an exciting thing for the fans. They had never really seen any other kind of track because restrictor plate racing was still kind of new. 
Uh, it wasn't the whole like three by three all the way back through the whole field. Well, you know, early 2000s, they added the little wicker bill on top and did some weird aerodynamic stuff to kind of really keep the pack really, really close. And that's when you started seeing that two and three wide all the way through these packs. Uh, and in the 20 or so years since then, uh, you know, these guys just haven't been able to get away from each other. There's no weird thing where it gets strung out uh, unless the driver's plan to, to try to just stay out of crashes. So it's one of those things where they just can't get, get, can't get away from each other no matter what they do. And I think a lot of guys don't like that. On the other flip side of that, you mentioned guys who do like that. You've got the guys like the Corey LaJoys and, uh, and, and the Cody Wares who aren't typically in the mix for wins each and every week. They have a shot when we come to these racetracks, and that's why they like them. So uh, it, it's, a weird, uh, it's a weird balance, but uh, at the same time, uh, you cut Daytona from the schedule, and I think you're going to have some fans rioting. Bush said afterwards, and he's never been one to mince words, and that's for good and bad, and that's made him one of the more polarizing drivers of his generation. That, you know, if we were still 1998 rules, he would have won the Daytona 500. And he's accurate, but the rules have changed, right? And it it, it is what it is. But for casual race fans, there was some confusion. And, and I bring this up, Toby, because... My wife and I, she she doesn't watch NASCAR. She never has. We were watching the 500, and she's like, "Okay, what's this caution? And and why is why are they doing another restart? And why is this? Why can't they just give the winner to someone?" And does NASCAR do a good job of explaining how their race is in now? Because there seems to be confusion, and I I, I don't know. It doesn't. It seems to be a little clunky. Yeah, yeah. I mean. So to kind of go back to the Kyle Busch thing where he said in 1998 he would have been the winner, you know, that's 25 years ago. Let's go back to the tax codes 25 years ago. I'd probably be a millionaire if we used those right now. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of different ways to look at things like that, but we're looking at rules from 25 years ago. I think at some point you, you move on and say, damn, I didn't win it under the current format that's been there for a long time. So uh, to, that, to that note, though, I do think that there is something to be said about uh, the explanation of how these races play out. Um, if you listen to MRN, the radio broadcast of it, I can tell you for sure because I was on the grounds of Daytona, and that's what's playing over the overhead uh, speaker system while you're there. They do a phenomenal job of explaining what is happening in overtime and how the race uh, continues, how the race ends. Uh, where I don't know if Fox did that, I, I can't speak for them. I didn't, I didn't see their their version of how things played out. Um, and again, it could be one of those things where they do it really well one time. Uh, forget to do it another time because they're like, oh, we've mentioned this before, and we don't want people to say that uh, we're annoying them by saying it again and again and again. But, yeah, you do need to explain the rules uh, of overtime and, and the sport in general uh, each time you're in a situation like this because, you know, like your wife or, or whoever is tuning in for the first time or just trying to understand the sport, uh, they kind of need to know the rules at play uh, or you're like, okay, cars are just getting wadded up and we don't know why. So. Uh, is one of those things where the, the rules do need to be laid out. NASCAR, honestly, is one of the only sports out there where the the public the rule book is not made public. Uh, you can go to NFL.com, you can find the rule book for the NFL. You can go to NHL.com, you can find the rule book for the NHL. You go to NASCAR.com, you're not getting the rule book for NASCAR. So uh, it is one of the sports where the, the rule book is kind of held secret, uh, which is really, really weird. Uh, and part of that is just because NASCAR has always happened to amend the, the rule book itself with all the different tech tech aspects that are in there. And they don't want people to have a printed off copy and say, hey, that wasn't in the rule book here when, yeah, well, a week ago it wasn't. Uh, but we've updated it since then. So that's, uh, I think, part of the reason they don't make it public 
as far as the actual rule book goes. Uh, but I do agree there there needs to be something uh, as far as helping people understand the rules uh, of play as, as the race is unfolding. We're talking with Toby Christie of tobychristie.com. He joins us here on RP3 and Company as we talk NASCAR. We discussed it a lot on Monday's show, Toby, uh, my producer and I, about guys, you know, very good to great drivers that never won the Daytona 500. Mark Martin, Tony Stewart popped to mind. Uh, Bush is obviously in that same conversation now. Uh, he's he's not getting any younger, and it only gets tougher the older you get. Yep. Is the window closing on him winning the Daytona 500? Was this his best chance? Man, I mean, you start looking at it, and this was his 18th try. Had he not been injured in 2015, it would have been his 19th try. Um and you start adding it up, and not many guys win it after that amount of times. Uh, so as far as odds go, yeah, I think the odds are stacked against him to win it. But at the same time, he's one of those guys that shows up each year and is kind of in the mix. Um, and RCR has proven to be a team that is really, really good at these kind of racetracks. So I think uh, his new partnership with RCR, Austin Dillon proved that he would work with them there. Uh, and they worked together pretty well, aside from the weird uh, restart thing where they decided to go side-by-side. Side. Uh, so I don't know what that was all about. But other than that, they worked pretty well together all race long. And had we not had Daniel Suarez spinning out with two to go, I think we're talking about Kyle Busch as the Daytona 500 champion. So uh, from that aspect, I mean, if you're going to say this was his best chance ever and he'll never have another chance, I mean, he was pretty good. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people think he should have been the winner of the race. So, uh, I feel like this isn't his last shot at winning the Daytona 500, but uh, but man, when you're when you're at 18, 19 tries and you haven't gotten it, you know, we're talking about Dale Earnhardt wanting his 20th, and and that's as far as it goes. So uh, if he were to win it and try 19, 20, or 21, I think that would be pretty pretty remarkable and, and something that uh, you know is is something you don't see very often. I mean, the oldest driver to ever win the Daytona 500 was Bobby Allison, right? So. Yep. It, it, so it, it can be done, but Bobby also drove in a different time. So once again, that that plays a role in this. Uh, give me your big takeaways. You know, obviously Ricky won the the race, and and Bush, you know, fell short. But who who impressed you? Give me some of your big takeaways of guys that you said, okay, based on their performance at Daytona, you're going to be keeping an eye on them moving forward, especially in the first month, month and a half of the season. Man, you start looking at things. I think uh, you know Joey Logano uh, backed up his championship run really, really well with a with a runner up finish, and he was obviously a little frustrated. He wasn't the winner because that was kind of controversial as far as where the caution actually came out. Uh, but you look at him. Christopher Bell came out with a really good finish and led a lot of laps as well. And Bell was in that championship four last season. Uh, so those are two guys I expect to be really, really strong all season long. Uh, but I'm also kind of interested to see about uh, Hendrick Motorsports as well. They didn't get a lot of good finishes here. Alex Bowman was sitting fifth at the end of this thing. But they had a lot of really fast cars uh, throughout all of Speed Week. And I think uh, I think for sure the, the Hendrick guys are going to be showing some strength uh, going forward as well. So uh, I think there was a lot of takeaway as far as who looked good. I think all the teams, for the most part, uh, brought really good efforts to Daytona. There were a lot of teams at play. We had... Uh, 52 lead changes, over half the field led a lap. Uh, so I think that speaks volumes as to people being prepared going to Daytona, that they all had cars capable of leading laps. Um, and uh, and I'm, I'm pretty excited to see where we go from here. Because now the real season starts, uh, RP3. We go to we go to Fontana, not a not a restrictor plate super speedway race. This is this is the real deal now. 
The real deal, my man says. Yeah, we go to Fontana, and then in March, it's Vegas, Arizona, and then all the way to Georgia. Uh, Which, for by Atlanta. the way, we made it through Daytona with no major kind of weather stuff. I know the truck race got uh, rained uh, at the very end. But now we're looking at possible snow in Fontana. Only NASCAR, right? <laughs> Only NASCAR. That's right. Uh, it's interesting about about Hendrick, right? Uh, on what they're going to do and, and how they're uh, how they're going to do move forward. Give me a guy that drove well at the five hundred, or, or driver or two in particular, that may be under the radar that we're not talking enough about, but that you're going to be keeping an eye on here in the month of March. The under the radar guys, man. I would say, I would say AJ Allmendinger because. He's a guy who, in part-time starts in the in the Cup Series, uh, has done really, really well over the last few years. He jumped back up to full-time Cup for this season. Uh, started 29th on Sunday, finished sixth. Was involved in the the last crash of the day, uh, but other than that, had a very clean run. Uh, he hates this style of racing. He's one of those guys that just hates Daytona and Talladega. So the fact that he got a sixth-place finish, I think he's very happy about. Um, and he's a guy who's super strong on road courses. Uh, he proved to be pretty good at the uh, intermediate ovals as well in his part-time uh, starts last year, and he's done really well in the Xfinity Series the last two seasons as well. I like A.J. Allmendinger if you're looking for a, a dark horse guy who could make the playoffs this year and possibly make a long, sustained playoff push. Uh, I think A.J. Allmendinger's my guy. All right, bud, I'll get you out of, with the, get, get you out of here with this. I've never, as you know, because we've talked about this before, we've talked about this on the old podcast, I've never been to a NASCAR race in person. And you told me, you know, you've given me some advice. My producer has, he's a NASCAR vet, and he says, look, if you're going to go to a race for the first time, it can't be one of the road courses. It has to be one of the marquee <laughs> tracks. You have to go to Talladega or Daytona or one of their one of those places to really yep. experience a NASCAR race for what it is. So for folks here in Louisiana that have never been to a race, which one do you recommend coming up on the schedule that they should make the pilgrimage to to experience NASCAR in its truest form for the first time? I would say if you're looking for one that's coming up very like very soon, um, I mean, I would, I would go right with what the producer's saying there. Uh, Daytona Talladega are always a good one. Talladega's coming up here. We've got a spring race at Talladega. How about Atlanta as well? It's kind of if you're liking the the whole super speedway kind of aspect, but you kind of want it to be a little bit uh, a, a little bit more normal. But Atlanta is kind of the same thing. They redesigned the racetracks, so and all of a sudden it's a very high drafting track, uh, very much like what you see at Daytona and Talladega, but on a smaller scale. So uh, I would say if you're wanting a race coming up in a few weeks, I would say either Atlanta or, or Talladega. Uh, if you're wanting uh, you know the prestige, I'd say. Wait for Daytona in the in the in the summer. There's another one of those coming up uh, at the end of the year. It's the last uh, regular season race of the season. So uh, you know, those are my thoughts. Uh, I don't think you can get much better of a of a product for a live at track uh, uh, viewing experience than a than a super speedway race. Just because everybody is so close, everybody's driver has a chance to win at some point during the race. It's it's really enjoyable from that aspect. So April 23rd, Geico 500 at talladega you down dawson ready for a road trip take the show on the road i already told you we we can do it <laughs> hey if you guys are going if you guys are going let me know i'll meet up with you because i'll be there so just let me know there it is. Uh, it'll be good to, it'll be good to meet you there it is toby appreciate the time brother we'll have to talk to you soon my friend thanks guys 
This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Alexa and the game make a great team. Do yourself a favor and enable the Alexa skill, the game Southwest Louisiana, so you can keep it locked in to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, wherever you go. Uh, poll question of the day was, of course, all about Lent. It's our foodie poll question of the week. What food slash drink are you giving up for Lent? Final results. 44% of you say other. 30% say sweets. 22% says alcohol. 4% says coffee. Robert Duplashan on Twitter says absolutely nothing. I respect you for that, Robert. <laughs> Robert says I give up nothing, and you will like it. B-Rad says, I'm not Catholic, so I've never followed the Lent tradition, but if I did, I would probably be giving up Coca-Cola. John Paul, the Cajun daddy, says, I won't be giving up anything. I was brought up in a house where we never give up. (laughs) Todd on Twitter says, I'm giving up nothing for Lent. I'm non-denominational. Thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day. Thanks to all who left their glorious comments. You guys always deliver. Never, You never fail me. Appreciate you making us part of your morning. I want to take a moment to thank our guest, Ron Higgins, the mad dog. He was on point this morning. My man's had it with the men's basketball team. <laughs> At LSU, Dan McDonald, under the weather, still coming through. ESPN Plus, play-by-play man for Raging Cajun Athletics. Huge day for the Cajuns. Doubleheader for basketball at the Cajun Dome. And then baseball opens up its uh, home slate against BYU. And of course, Toby Christie from tobychristie.com. Dawson, you did a tremendous job, bud. Thank you. Would you like to say anything before we sign off here on RP3 and Company? You've said everything that you needed to say. There's nothing else that needs to be said. All right. Man's making plans. Already making plans for NASCAR road trips. Let's do it. Let's do it. Work. Throw it out the window. Gotta go, gotta go catch a race. We will work from the race. Oh, now we're talking. Now you're speaking my language. (laughs) That's going to do it for today's show. For the producer, Dawson Iserlow, I'm Raymond Parch, the third better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game.